So what do you do when you're in a team where you need to be effective, but how do you address some team issues and can we all get along? The key is, is really being clear on some group agreements and some norms of how you would like to operate um, together, what's important to the team, as well as what you're trying to accomplish and what the expectations of the team are. Hello, friends. You're listening to the voice of Gina Ferreira who has 25 years of experience in state and community public health. She is currently serving as the Director of Strategy and Performance for the Prevention Services Division at the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Gina earned her Master's of Public Health in Health Behavior and Health Education from the University of North Carolina Jillian School of Public Health and her Bachelor's Degree in Social Psychology from the Pennsylvania State University. In this episode, you're going to learn about public health strategy and implementation science, and also get a peak view of a career path as a director of strategy and performance. Hello, friends. This is the What is Public Health podcast with your host, Dr. Ki Chan. What is public health? To me, public health is the invisible force that keeps you healthy every day, and I bet you didn't even know it. This podcast is your source of the latest trend in public health. Now, as a public health teaching management and leadership to master's and doctoral student, I do have to say that strategy and implementation science aren't, one, aren't some of the subjects that we teach in class, but it's so needed in the real world. I mean, and sometimes I just wonder why aren't we teaching it? And maybe it's that they have to be in the real world practicing in order to learn um, while they're uh, boots on the ground. So Gina, I'd love to have you share your career journey and your current role as the Director of Strategy and Performance. And that is a role that I think, as you we have talked before, that it's a new type of role and it may be a type of career path that MPA students may want to consider. But in order to consider that, they need to have the skill sets and understanding what, it, what that entails. So Gina, um, take it away. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Chan, for having me today. I really appreciate the time, and I'm excited to share with folks out in the field uh, about what I do. Um, so as you mentioned, there was a director of strategy and performance we call the Prevention Service Division PSD. Um, PSD here at the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment is one of the largest divisions. We have about 30 to 40 programs and more than 200 staff. And within our division, we house programs that range from family planning, maternal and child health, injury and violence prevention, all the way through the life course to oral health and chronic disease prevention and health promotion. So there are many, many different staff and programs in the division. And my role is relatively new. Um, I've been working in this capacity for about six years. And, and the role in the work really sits at the intersection of public health practice, organizational development, and management and leadership. And my background, you alluded to um, a few years I spent working in one of the programs here at the department. Um, I have about 20 years experience in public health. 15 of those were here at the state health department. And I spent my first nine years administering both state and federal funding that went out to local communities throughout the state. So I was responsible for, you know, setting program direction and policy and working with teams to support our partners out in the field. And, and then I was kind of ready to move on to something else. And at that time, um, there was a need for a couple things. One was to focus 
our maternal and child health needs assessment, and I had been helping administer the maternal and child health program for five years, so it was kind of a natural segue to get back to my planning roots. Um, and so I spent a lot of time working on the maternal and child health assessment both five years ago and then most recently this past um, year. And then from there, my position kind of evolved into working on areas of performance management and quality improvement, which at that time were not just new, and this was about five years ago, weren't just new in public health with public health accreditation and the FAB standards that came to local and state agencies um, that included a focus on performance management and quality improvement. But also at that time, we had a new governor and the state of Colorado um, developed a commitment to performance improvement practices and systems across all the state agencies. So sitting here at the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, um, I was able to kind of help build a culture around um, performance improvement within our large division, and <clears throat> as well as to support all the different people and programs um, in our division around problem solving and um, setting goals and objectives and monitoring progress towards those goals, as well as on doing a lot of assessment and planning work um, with both different, with the division at large, as well as with some of the different programs. And I'll talk a little bit more about this work as I go. Um, but it's a really exciting place to be. I've seen these positions um, emerging in different state and local health agencies, uh, both within our state and across the country partly because of the public health accreditation board process uh, and standards, as well as because I think um, with the critical skills in public health that are being recognized and acknowledged uh, in terms of our workforce needs that it's not enough anymore just to know the content about um, a particular area, whether it's um, you know, cancer prevention or oral health or family planning, that professionals really need skills that cross um, you know, the leadership, the management, the budgeting, the facilitation, the planning skills um, to do our work effectively. So, again, I'll talk more about that, but that gives you a little bit of background on my, my history and experience as well as kind of the role I'm serving in today. Great. And, Gina, feel free to just call me Key um, throughout the podcast. I feel okay, like great. Friends working in public health, so... <laughs> So, you know, just to follow up on that, I think our listener would love to learn more about, you know, as the director of strategy and performance, like, can you share like three areas of improvement needed to reach the goal and strategic plan for maternal child health? Uh, maybe other state departments can actually learn from your experience in Colorado and see that maybe there are similar areas of improvement and that they can also learn from, learn from you and maybe uh, have some lessons learned, tips and advice. Absolutely, Key. Thanks. So, um, so I think these areas of improvement relate probably not only to MCH, but also to some of the division strategic planning and really any organization's um, strategic or action plans that they've put forward um, or are working on at this point. Um, you know, some of the dynamics that I see in my work is, um, is a challenge I think we face in the field of public health where there's so many opportunities, um, there's so many issues, there's so much need that it becomes really difficult sometimes for us to kind of clearly define our purpose and our outcomes and to be really focused and realistic about what we're trying to accomplish. Um, 
there's just so much to do. <laughs> and I think this is true of, of, of teams outside of public health as well. So um, being super clear about and specific about what we would like to accomplish, given the resources at our disposal, given the political environment, given the landscape, given our staff capacity and skills, um, given windows of opportunity um, that may exist, whether it's through funding or politically, and, um, and being thoughtful when defining that purpose and the outcomes we're trying to achieve. And whether you're creating a strategic plan or an action plan um, to not fall into um, what is called the planning fallacy, and I'll refer to that a little bit later. So one area is just being clear and focused on, on the plans. Um, in order to move the work forward, I think a critical component, and Key, you and I were chatting before the call about how Though we all work in teams, I have a 10-year-old daughter who is working in teams in the fourth grade. Um, I don't know how much time we spend in school learning about how to work in effective teams um, and how to help um, teams be engaged and productive and focused in the work that they do. Um, so I think focusing time and energy on making sure that our teams are effective is an area that um, needs constant attention and is really critical to public health work. As many of you out in the field know, it's a very interdisciplinary field. We work always in partnership and collaboration in order to do uh, any of the programmatic work we're doing uh, in organizations and communities, um, you know, state and local partnerships, community-wide partnerships. And so um, I've worked with so many teams, both in the planning stage where Again, they may not be clear on what their purpose is, as well as once they're underway, um, whether their members are, are engaged, attending, whether they're moving forward, achieving what they set out to do. Um, there's a lot of work here to be done. I think two other areas, so you asked for three, I have four, um, but two other areas I think are kind of paying attention and monitoring and reflecting on and processing kind of our implementation progress as we have these plans and they're focused and we have these effective teams, how do we assure our work is moving um, both at the pace and in the direction that we set forth um, as we do the work? And how do we, as both leadership teams and as colleagues and peers, uh, be supportive when barriers do arise in order to overcome those barriers, um, as well as when we have successes, how do we leverage those and build on those to keep the work moving forward uh, for progress? And that's the performance management aspect of the work that I do. And then finally, I think effective problem solving. And this certainly goes along with when you do encounter barriers or your team isn't effective, um, how do we solve problems? Again, not necessarily something we learn systematically in school, um, but quality improvement has really taught me whether you use a evidence-based framework like lean or whether you um, just understand that there is a structured approach to problem solving, um, <clears throat> that there is a way, no matter how complex the problem might be, there is a way to kind of unpeel layers of the onion and, and work towards solving that um, in a way that's effective and, um, and can help move the work forward. And ultimately, we're all trying to accomplish our goals and impact the public health. And so these are three different areas that I think um, Again, I think we don't learn in school, and yet um, I coach people on, on these areas every day, uh, and I have for the last six years. So there's obviously a huge need um, to pay attention to these areas. And just to follow up on that, Gina, I yeah. know that uh, one of the areas you said was um, building effective teams, and 
and you know, as a teacher, I have students work in teams and, you know, sometimes some teams start off great, they all bond, they have, you know, not, they're mm-hmm. on through Facebook and other ways and common interests. But then there are times where either there's just some teams just don't form, don't get off on the right foot and from the start and starts to unravel. And then as teachers, we try to intervene um, throughout the process. And, you know, while students are learning teen development in school, I'm just curious, like, how reflective are these of these experiences as a student, um, perhaps when you're in school, when you worked in teams, is reflective in real life that you do have to work in teams. And sometimes you don't have a choice. You don't have a teacher coming in and changing members <laughs> from teams, like as a teacher to intervene. So what do you do when you're in a team where you need to be effective, but how do you address some team issues? And can we all get along? Love to hear some of your real life experiences. <laughs> It's a great question. Um, It's an excellent question. So I think that um, what's really important, and in practice in public health, one tool that we have a tool for everything in public health, as you know, Key, um, but one tool that we have found really helpful, and it's not about the tool itself, it's about the conversation that uh, basically provides input into the tool is around it's a team charter and essentially what this does and you can establish and develop a team charter um, you know through discussion and and conversation at any point in a team's life course like it could be at the beginning and formation of a team or it could be halfway through um, the project period the key is is really being clear on some group agreements and some norms of how you would like to operate um, together what's important to the team, as well as what you're trying to accomplish and what the expectations of the team are. Um, so what are you trying to accomplish in terms of your goals and deliverables? What's the, what are the timelines associated with those goals and deliverables? And then when it comes to expectations of the team members, you know, what, what does it take to participate as a team member, whether that's uh, attending meetings, doing work between meetings, um, contributing in meetings, you know, not, not necessarily processing the meeting outside the meeting, but, you know, let people know inside the meeting what you're doing. Also, um, facilitation and, um, and of course, this is not, you know, everybody's, uh, not everyone has resources to have a facilitator sitting in every meeting, and that's true here in our department as well, of course. Um, that's why all public health professionals and students need some level of facilitation skills and training just in our everyday work. Um, because we need, we need to know how to use different methods to kind of hold space so that everybody in the meeting has an opportunity for a voice. So, you know, the use of post-it notes where you can have some anonymous input, um, the use of small group discussion, the use of think, pair, share, where you talk to your neighbor just to get the conversation going, and then you share those things out with the larger group. Um, these are all facilitation methods that can help people feel engaged once the team is convened and on its way doing its work. Um, and, and, um, and, of course, an engaged team is usually a more productive and effective team. So, um, so I think a team charter or just basically having some shared agreements, shared expectations, shared goals, which I know sounds simple and obvious, but it does take some intentionality and it takes some time. And I think oftentimes when we come together, we either may, maybe don't have the right tools at our disposal or we're just so excited to get into the work that we kind of overlook the process part of being a team. Um, and then the one other thing I'll add is as the team is, is, is in, in kind of progress and doing the work, 
if your attendance starts dwindling, um, if people are in the meeting, but they're not really participating, it's probably time to do an evaluation. And I always say form follows function. So again, if you're clear on what you're trying to accomplish, which sometimes teams are not, um, you might need to look at your form and your structure. And are we meeting too often? Are we not meeting often enough? Is there the right process in the meetings to get the work done, uh, the right facilitation methods? You know, do people feel safe? Um, if not, why? And, and do some work around that. And meeting evaluation is a great way to get at some of that. Again, kind of an anonymous way for people to give input. Um, so those are some kind of practical tools and tips that you might consider using, whether you're a student working in a team or whether you are a professional who's been meeting with the same group for two years. Um, they can still be helpful tools and insights. Well, that's a really good tip, Jean. I'm going to use that for my next class uh, for my students to have them <laughs> set up a, a team charter, basically rules for the team and that they can come up together and keep each other accountable. And hopefully that may um, resolve any potential issues in, in team dynamic as the class progresses. So thank you for that. And, and <laughs> you're and, welcome. And, and, and students always ask, they're like, oh, we don't like team projects. And I said, well, you know, if you're in public health, you're going to have to work in teams, whether you like it or not. <laughs> because yeah. I say you can't, one person can't solve public health. I mean, you're not like a superhero. Superman, but collectively we act as superheroes that work together. And so I try to emphasize that, um, that the reason why we have them work in teams as part of graduate school, and perhaps also when you're in, in your MPH program too, is there's probably a lot of team projects, right? Um, is to prepare you when you're in the field that you will be working with people. Sometimes you'll be working with new people. And if you have to travel or people coming in, and especially right now we have like a global, like a global issue with this infectious disease. And so you're going to have to maybe travel or people coming in, getting advice from you. And so you could be constantly working with new people, new members. And so you have to be adaptive. So I really appreciate that advice of forming team charter. So I'm going to implement that. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and just to follow on your note about strategic planning and performance management, um, which are key features in um, in organizational um, in meeting organizational meet mission. Um, you know, those are like big um, like big uh, areas of focus. Like. One, let's dive into more of the specificity, like are there specific skills and knowledge needed to achieve these goals um, so that you know, we can have listeners see that it's much, you know, like what can they learn now, like bits by beats, bit by bit um, to obtain that. And, you know, as you're learning these new skills or new knowledge, you know, are there new emerging careers and jobs in public health in need so that, you know, in addition to learning these new skill sets to address these new goals, is that they're also um, honing down their skills um, for a particular career or a new career? Absolutely. Um, you know, I thought about this a lot because I actually never intuitively considered myself a strategic thinker. Um, I'm a really strong implementer, <laughs> and I can I can get down into the weeds on any project and think you know ten steps ahead. But I think for me, I've really been able to develop my strategic thinking and perspective over time. And as you I think sometimes gain more experience, um, I was actually just chatting with a, a colleague on the 
a board that I'm on and she's a, she's a young professional and also a student. And she said, I just can't think strategically. And I said, you will, everybody, you know, everybody can go there over time, but sometimes it just takes time to kind of learn the landscape and, and understand, you know, not only your own work and your own program or whatever area you're working in, but to start, you know, understanding what's going on in other areas and being able to connect the dots. And of course, so there's strategy at so many different levels. Um, anyway, so I'm kind of getting off on a little tangent, but I think some of the critical skills that help you think strategically, um, I mean, planning is a huge part of it. And we have a role in public health called public health planning. Uh, and public health planning planners are usually, you know, responsible for um, community assessments and developing, uh, whether it's state or local public health improvement plans, or planning for a particular program um, and, and figuring out what's the direction that we want this, this area to go in the next six months, 12 months, three years, five years, et cetera. So um, I did take a year-long class in graduate school um, on planning and assessment, and we did work with the team, to your earlier point, um, and we conducted a community assessment for a local community in North Carolina. And I think those planning skills were really, really useful and helpful. And I think most graduate school programs do include those skills um, if you're in kind of the health education, health promotion community, health area. But what's interesting is if you're not, and if you're in health policy or in epi, epidemiology or other areas, I don't know how much, how much um, planning um, skill building that students receive. So I do see it being important as you're in an organization to lead your organizational unit, or if you're in a management position, it doesn't only apply to the programmatic work, it also applies to the organizational administrative role. Um, the other skills that I think are important for kind of strategy as well as performance management, um, or just, you know, leadership skills in general, I advise um, new professionals to take advantage of any leadership development opportunities that come their way or that they can seek out um, to build their leadership skills over time. Project management is another area that, you know, there's professional certificates on project management. A couple of my colleagues here have been certified in project management. It's very common certification in the private sector, uh, whereas in public health, you know, it's a lot of what we do is manage programs and projects, and yet we're never really... I remember ever having been trained, except, you know, the rigor of getting through a graduate program. <laughs> it obviously requires some level of project management, but I haven't really had any formal training in that, and I use it all the time. So I think project management is another area. Um, if you want to kind of enhance your education or ask for certain training, um, as well as, as I said before, facilitation and problem solving, uh, again, which very common skills to be developed in organizational um, development and, um, you know, quality improvement, but aren't as common these days to public health and public health training. And I think the critical skills uh, attention is, is going to hopefully move some of the educational curricula in that direction. But these are areas that people can go get experience in through outside training um, and enrichment um, beyond their formal education to kind of move into this realm of public health. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does, Gina. And just to follow up on that, you know, in, you know, in the era of public health 3.0, I think one of the, um, I guess like one of the 
components that they said um, in this new era is the creation of a chief strategy officer, like they call yep. it CSO. And yeah. which I thought was, wow, like that's great. I mean, even the public health report, which is a document that is written by a task force made up of um, working professionals and public sector and government academia in public health to set for what are the new vi vision in public health and public health workforce. And, and in your role as director of strategy and performance, I think we have talked that this is a relatively either a new position or a new type of role. So do you see that these are new emerging career paths as like being more of a strategist, um, being more performance management, which are oftentimes careers that are common in the private sector and industry, but now are becoming perhaps maybe in the future more common in public health. I mean, do you, do you think these areas or are there other areas that students could consider that could be open, uh, could be areas of job opportunities? Absolutely. I, 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 I totally support, um, you know, the, the idea of, you know, whether it's chief strategy officer, but when you're thinking about, I mean, particularly in a state agency, we have a pretty large agency. It's 1,400 people. And so even if we had a CSO at the top of our organization, our health department, there's, I don't know, eight or nine divisions across our health department, and then there's how many programs within each division. And so strategy needs to happen at so many different levels within this agency, for example, but whether you're in a nonprofit organization or a local public health agency or working at a university, you can imagine the different levels that strategic thinking needs to happen. And so I think it's kind of twofold. I think that positions will formally be developed and created and are already happening. I've seen in the last five years more director of strategy positions in public health agencies than I've ever seen in my career. Um, so I think the field is already going in that way, at least in Colorado. Um, and that's just my, my area that I'm most familiar with. Um, but I think at the same time, I think all public health professionals are going to need a level of strategic um, skills and strategic thinking in order to um, contribute to whatever area they're working in. Because again, strategy has at so many different levels of the organization and the program. Um, and this is where I think we, and I had this as a later point, which we may or may not get to um, because Key, you were so kind to send me some questions ahead of time. Um, but, you know, I think oftentimes we have an opportunity in organizations and in, in graduate school, et cetera, to really identify what people's strengths and skills are. So for some people, strategic thinking just comes really naturally, or maybe they had a different career before they came to public health. Uh, and they may, they may be really strong in that area. And oftentimes we don't realize what people's strengths and skills are. And if we did a better job in our field and organizations of, of encouraging folks to mentor and coach and support one another, in areas where they would like to learn more, maybe they're not as strong. Um, I think there's just a lot of opportunity there in workforce development. So, you know, my advice to listeners is, is if, if, you know, whether it's quality improvement or, or um, effective team building or, um, you know, planning and, and being very specific and creating a defined purpose, like look around your organization or your cohort of colleagues or students and, and, 
kind of do some research and find out like who's really strong in that area and then go learn from them <laughs> or get, at least get them on your team. Um, and so that you have that skill set. because again, not everybody has the time to have these in the, in the um, bandwidth to have all these different skills and to mature this way, but that's why teams are so important, right? Cause we can build on the strengths of others. Um, but also to learn from each other, I think is really important. So I'll just put that out there as yes, I think it's going to be more of a, a career path moving forward, but I also think it's going to be a demand of all of us to be implementing more strategic thinking in our, in our current roles. Yeah, Gina, I do like the fact that um, you emphasize that even if we don't necessarily learn strategy or performance management or project management in school while you're in school, um, there's always opportunity to learn new skills from a teammate. You can barter with a teammate saying, I could do your stats and you could teach me strategy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's always ways to barter. Yes. <laughs> or either, and even just as the old days, apprenticeship, right? It's like learn with a mentor, learn with someone. Um, who has the skills and hopefully they can rub off on you and they can also learn from you as well. So, um, so there's definitely a lot of opportunities um, postgraduate and there's a lot of training as well. So even after you graduate, there's training if you're a part of different society, um, such as the American Association of Maternal Child Health, there's a lot of workshops and at their annual meeting, a lot of online training at the CDC. So there's ample opportunities to continue to build your skills, um, even though you didn't learn these skills while in school, when you're at the workplace, you can, there's a lot of different ways that you could do so. Um, so thank you for that, Gina. And, you know, it sounds to me like with your many years of work experience in the Department of Public Health and different capacity, um, well, I'd love for you to just share maybe one really tough decision you had to make regarding performance strategy. And then looking back now, like what would you tell your earlier self at that point? Was it the right thing to do or not? And, and what was lessons learned from that reflection? Absolutely, Keith. So, um, and this was actually a pretty recent um, experience. We uh, just completed our second division strategic plan uh, about a year ago, and we have a strategy team that is represented um, represents the whole division with members from across the different areas. And um, and and when we were starting out, figuring out how to implement this plan, which is pretty broad, it's kind of a map versus a, a a plan with strategies and activities, um, because again, we're working across this very large division. Um, the team really wanted to work on on all the goals on the map, as well as all of these competencies that we had identified in order for um, the division to be successful in achieving the goals. And there was like between five and seven. I think there's seven competencies, and um, and the team really wanted to work on all of this in the first year simultaneously. Um, and knowing that this is all resourced by current staff members, and so it is on top of their daily work. Um, I was a bit skeptical, but, you know, being the convener and facilitator and supportive person I am, I said, okay, well, if that's what the leadership team wants to do, then let's go forth and figure out a process and infrastructure to move the work forward. Um, we had some leadership transition at the division level kind of right around the same time. And when we, when our new division director came on board and started trying to understand the, the strategy map and the, and the implementation efforts we had planned, 
Uh, I think she shared some of the same concerns around um, the amount of work we had hoped to do given the capacity that was available to do that work and capacity meaning time and, and, you know, money, of course. And, um, and, and, and also what happened and what was became evident was that several of the different efforts related to the strategic work either didn't gain traction. So it didn't really go anywhere or they started, but then they kind of lost momentum. And, and the reality um, of this situation, which I think is a really great example, um, is this this is the the planning fallacy. <laughs> so I encounter this a lot when I support assessment and planning and public health, and whether that's internal or with external groups. We are all very passionate and committed public health professionals who want to make an impact, and there's so much work to do. And so it becomes really, really difficult to focus in on the most important uh, or the most feasible strategy or area for impact. And so we wind up biting off more than we can chew. And unfortunately, sometimes we're therefore not successful because we've just taken on too much and we probably don't have adequate resources to truly implement the work that we, we had hoped to accomplish. So this is called the planning fallacy. So, um, so you know, keep it in mind as you enter into any kind of planning with your organization or with your colleagues. Um, and I will say what we what we did was we we very much scoped back um, our implementation plan for the first year, and in doing so, we were able to really focus in on those things that we selected to do and prioritize. And we've seen some some pretty great um, results from that work. Again, we're still pretty early into the four year uh, planning or implementation process, but in the first year we've already seen some pretty great results. In fact, I'm writing about that right now. So, um, so that's my, that's just one concrete example of the planning fallacy and how we want to be careful to match our plans and our focus with our resources um, moving forward. And that's such a good point that in public health, people who are working in public health, we're just so passionate about our subjects and we want to basically use our resources to um, benefit everyone. But when it comes down to prioritizing, it's, it's a tough decision to actually a tough decision for yourself to decide, okay, and, and as a team decide, okay, what is most important and what is feasible and what resources do we have? And it just takes, and, 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 it, and it's like you said, it just takes being strategic um, to, um, to make those tough decisions. Um, so thank you for sharing that uh, personal antidote um, that you experienced with your team about planning and strategic planning, and that it is and it is not uncommon um, that there is this planning fallacy, like you said. So that's so that others who are out there um, undergoing strategic planning or engaging in team planning, that just to keep that um, to to be mindful of how much resources and time do you actually have to set out to accomplish those goals. So thank you for that, Gina. And as we're wrapping up, uh, I would love for you to maybe leave something with our listeners. Like what is one golden nugget of advice you can leave with our listeners here today? Um, yeah, I think since we've talked a lot about teams and about um, prioritizing our work, I, I, want, I want to just thank everyone out there who's working in service of public health. Um, it's, it's pretty tireless. Um, it, it, we, we never really, 
it, it's endless, right? Like, like when we, when we maybe impact one issue for the better, another one pops up. And so it's, it's a lifelong commitment, um, in many people's careers. And, um, and so thank you for all of that. And what I would say is, is I think the field is demanding, um, new skills and talents from many of us. And, I think we will rise to that challenge, um, both in partnership with our educational institutions and with our professional development, workforce development supports. Um, but also, as I said earlier, let's not be afraid to lean on one another. Uh, we have so much to learn from each other, strengths and skills. And I know I've been fortunate to have met some amazing mentors along the way. And so I encourage folks to find someone who you respect and you feel like you can learn from and go have a conversation and ask them if they're willing to meet with you once a month and ask them questions and get advice. And it's, it's really can be powerful if we all kind of band together and support each other. So that's what I think I'd like to leave listeners with today. And, uh, and yeah, and just thanks again. Yeah. And Gina, um, I think you shared with us your LinkedIn um, connection. So would it be okay that listener listeners reach out to you in that way? Is that the best way for them to reach out to you? Absolutely. And I also look forward to seeing any comments or dialogue that results from this conversation. So please don't be a stranger. You can connect with me through LinkedIn via email. And, um, and again, yeah, thanks for having me, Key. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gina. Hello, friends. I hope you got some really good real-world tips about creating effective teams and why strategy and performance management are the key to public health success. Sometimes we can be so passionate about our causes that we lose sight of what is priority given the circumstances, the needs of our constituents, that's you listeners, and resource capacity. We also need to learn how to strategize our resources and leverage our partnerships by building teams with common interests that may be seasonal based on expertise and timing of events. If you would like to connect with Gina Ferreira, please find her on LinkedIn and definitely connect with me on LinkedIn as well. You can find me at KeyChamp PhD MBA. If you got questions about any of the episodes, feel free to reach out to me directly. And while you're there at it, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episode that you felt connected with so that we could be a part of this collective invisible force called public health. Thanks.